Well, we are continuing with our brief study through some select psalms this morning. Today, as we've already pointed out, we're going to be focusing on probably the best-known psalm of them all, which is Psalm 23. Very beautiful, just a picturesque, poetic psalm, just in the way it speaks of the Lord, the way it speaks of His care for us. So, let me read this again for us this morning. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He restores my soul. He guides me in the paths of righteousness for his namesake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You have anointed my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and love and kindness will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. David, of course, was a shepherd. You can almost picture David uh, sitting under a tree with his flock of sheep around him, uh, writing this psalm, or at least maybe in his later years, recalling how he used to do that. But writing this psalm describing what a glorious thing it is to have the sovereign Lord as your shepherd. I mean, for hundreds, well, for thousands of years, this psalm has been a comfort to people in every situation. If you're in financial need, if you're discouraged, if you're sick, if you're lonely, it's been such a comfort to those who are dying those who are in prison, those who are oppressed or persecuted for their faith, it would be impossible to count how many times this psalm has been read in hospitals, for example. And actually, no matter what your situation in life might be, the Lord can use this spirit-inspired psalm that David wrote to encourage us in our relationship with the Lord. And there's two main ideas that I want to consider this morning uh, as we look at this psalm. First is that the Lord is a good shepherd to all who are his sheep. And then second, since the Lord is a good shepherd to his sheep, they can count on him to help them in life and in death. So first, let's talk about the fact that the Lord is the good shepherd for all who belong to him, to him, all who belong to him. It truly is just a remarkable thing to think that the sovereign triune God, the eternal Father, the creator and sustainer of all things, the one who is perfectly righteous and holy, full of glory, would condescend to us to be our personal shepherd. But the Lord was, was pleased to use this image to communicate his loving care for his people. God is the shepherd and we are his sheep. To make the image of the even more amazing, the reputation of sheep is not that good. Now, I can also say this before I say that. Sheep were very valuable. I mean, they're valuable as property, valuable for wool, valuable for their meat. So there's, there's a definite value in sheep. But their reputation is not that good. Sheep are weak creatures. They are defenseless. They cannot run wild and be able to survive. They are not known to be particularly smart animals. So therefore, for a sheep to survive, they have to be owned by someone. They have to have a shepherd. 
Well, as God's creation, really all people are accountable to Him. He made us. We have to answer to Him. But just being God's creation does not mean that every single person is one of His sheep. In the song we learned today, uh, it speaks really of Jesus as the Good Shepherd, and that's completely consistent with the Scripture. In John chapter 10, that is what Jesus called Himself. I'm going to read, uh, really, that much of that chapter speaks of the imagery of shepherd and sheep. I'm going to read a few verses, 7 through 11. Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not hear them. I am the door. If anyone enters through me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and, steal and kill and destroy I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. So Jesus specifically identifies himself as the good shepherd. He also says, though, he's the doorway for the sheep. The only way to be a part of his sheepfold, the sheepfold of the good shepherd, is to enter through Jesus Christ. So how do you do that? Well, Jesus said in verse 11 that as the good shepherd, he lays down his life for the sheep, for his sheep. Well, in his death, of course, Jesus paid for the sins of his sheep. <coughs> he endured the wrath, the judgment that we deserve for the sinful things that we have done, paid the price for our sins. He rose from the dead, and that was confirmation that the good shepherd had accomplished our salvation. To be one of his sheep, we must repent of our sin. We must receive Jesus Christ as our Savior, submit to him as our Lord. When we do that, we belong to him. We are part of his sheepfold. We have come in through him as the door. One of the things that's very clear in Psalm 23 is how certain David is that he belongs to the Lord. In the first three verses, for example, we see that David says, The Lord is my shepherd. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He restores my soul. He guides me in paths of righteousness. I mean, there is no doubt whatsoever in David's mind that he belongs to the shepherd. A shepherd would carve a mark of ownership on the ear of each of his sheep to show that they were his. Well, if the Lord is our shepherd, we belong to to him. We are his people. We are the sheep of his pasture. So for all who have the Lord as their shepherd, all of the statements in Psalm 23 are just as true of you as they were of David. So the first thing we see is that is this. The Lord provides for all the needs of his sheep. He provides for all the needs of his sheep. I noted earlier that sheep are not animals that can run wild and survive. They can't take care of themselves. They are dependent on the shepherd for their survival. So along that line, David says, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. To be in want means to suffer need. It means to be deficient in something that's necessary. So as a sheep belonging to the good shepherd, David says that he is not in want. He's not lacking in the things that he really needs. That doesn't mean that God gives everything or gives, uh, gives him or gives us 
every single thing that we would like to have. It's not everything that we want. He's a wise shepherd, so he would never do that. It's obvious that some of the things that we would like to have, some of the things we really want badly, are things that would not be good for us. So the Lord determines what we need, when we need it, and how the need will be supplied. John Stevenson pointed this out. He said, who dare deny that the promise of God is an absolute security? You can trust his promise here. Every believer can trust the promise of the shepherd. It's confirmed other places. Jesus confirmed it in Matthew 6.33 when he said that if we would seek first his kingdom, in other words, be one of his sheep, if we would seek first his kingdom, then all the basic needs of life would be provided. Paul confirmed this promise over in Philippians chapter 4 when he says, My God will supply all your needs according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. Supply all your needs. But to put that promise in the proper context, we need to remember that just a few verses before that, Paul emphasized the need to be content, whatever your circumstances are. Those two things go together. Him providing all our needs and us being content with what he's provided. One of God's sheep can never truthfully say, if only I had such and such, then I would have what I need to be happy. We can't say that. The Lord is our shepherd. We shall not want. And again, like I said, the parallel to that is be content with his provision. Next, for every person who has the Lord as their shepherd, the Lord provides true nourishment for the souls of his sheep. True nourishment for the souls of his sheep. It says, he makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He restores my soul. Well, green pastures and quiet waters provide food and drink, of course, for the sheep. Then the beginning of verse 3, David follows this up by saying, He restores my soul. The provision described really builds off the promise that we shall not want that's mentioned in verse 1. Well, that promise, I think, is especially focused on material, tangible provision. This promise of provision, I think, is really more related to soul nourishment. The green pastures give us an image of being something pleasant, something that's inviting, uh, nourishing. Uh, the quiet waters also picture just what you need to satisfy your thirst. But this is more than just making sure you have something to eat or something to drink. This is what every child of God needs for the nourishment of our soul, for the nourishment of our inner man. The greatest thing for the nourishment of the soul is the Word of God. As Jesus made very clear, he said, Man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. So his word is true nourishment. Thinking on the word, meditating on the scriptures, if we will take time to do that, we will be encouraged by the truths that come clear to us in our thinking and pondering of the, of the scriptures. For example, things that we could think on. Maybe call to mind, it's important to call to mind the tr various aspects of the gospel on a regular basis, things that we know, but things that it's good to remember. For example, remembering who God is. God is sovereign. He is good. He is wise. Those are very simple, but they're weighty truths. 
And whatever, however you're looking at your situation, if you remind yourself that God is sovereign, He's good and he, was, he is wise, it'll transform how you're seeing, how you're perceiving your circumstances. We also remember that we're sinful. There are sins every day that we need to be open and honest with God about. And then as we confess our sins, we remind ourselves that our good shepherd laid down his life for his sinful sheep. So we know that our sins are forgiven in Christ. We know that in Christ we stand righteous before God. We know that we are indwelt by the Holy Spirit. Those are very common truths, but they really are not common truths. I mean, they are very radical truths. We can also meditate even more on who God is. When you think about it, I think that's what David was doing when he wrote this psalm. It may very well be that David was praying. As he was praying, he began to think about how God was like a shepherd. And as he thought through that, pondered on that, the Lord gave him, the, gave him these applications from his own life, but also from what he knew of the Lord, and began to write these things down as he was meditating on who God was. And I have no doubt that as David prayed, as he wrote these words down, his soul was nourished. He was helped greatly by these thoughts. The same is true for you and me. Every time we pray and meditate on the scripture, God uses that to nourish, to strengthen our, to feed our souls. The promises of his word give us rest. It calls us to lie down, so to speak, in green pastures. His word ensures that we are eating and drinking, and what we are eating and drinking is right and true and good. One thing that sheep that I understand is that sheep are will willingly drink dirty and polluted water, if that's what's put in front of them. But water, that kind of water can cause harm. Well, we have the same problem sometimes. We have a tendency to fixate on things that are not that good for us. But in dependence on the Spirit... We read his word and are helped from a pure source. Restoring the soul makes it clear that we can also become discouraged. Otherwise, why would you need your soul restored? We can get to the place where we are backslidden, no longer seeking the Lord like we should. It's so easy, so easy for something to become an idol in our life. And as a result, we begin to neglect the Lord begin to neglect his word, neglect worshiping with his people. And as we do that, our souls are downcast and need to be revived, need to be restored. Well, our good shepherd promises that he will do that for us. And again, if we will take advantage of the means of grace he's provided, his word, prayer, fellowship, worship in our local church, he will restore us. So if you are one of God's sheep, then he promises to nourish and restore your soul, just like he did for David. Next, we see the Lord enables his sheep to both desire and live in ways that honor him, to live in ways that honor him. As a further thought on what God does when he restores our soul, we see in verse 3, he guides me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. David makes it clear that Christians have a tendency to fall away and get off track, get off the path. That's why our shepherd needs to restore us. He also makes it clear 
that in order for a, for a Christian to be restored, we need to be guided into paths of righteousness. David also tells us that our shepherd can be trusted to do this. He will guide us into paths of righteousness because the glory of God is at stake. For his glory, for the sake of his name, he restores us by his omnipotent grace. The paths of righteousness first assume that every one of God's sheep are righteous in his sight. So there's righteousness here in a couple ways. The fact that we stand righteous before God in Christ by faith because of what Christ has done. Not a, not a righteousness by, by works, but by faith in Christ. But also, those who are righteous in Christ will act in righteous ways. Uh, as I was reading in Charles Spurgeon's commentary, he made this, uh, he was quoting someone who made this, uh, this observation. He said, the paths of those who are righteous in Christ are adorned with trees of holiness on each side. The paths of those who are righteous in Christ, that path is adorned by trees of holiness all, all along the way. So it's, we are righteous in Christ. At the same time, we have a desire to live out that righteousness, to act in ways that are honoring to God. As believers, God has changed our hearts. But still, is, sin is still a major challenge for every one of us. At the same time, we want to honor the Lord but we struggle with sin. Those two things are there. Well, our God is committed to us, but he's committed to us out in the context of being committed to his own glory. So he will pursue that work in his sheep so to make sure that we walk, do walk in paths of righteousness because it'll honor him as we do that. His namesake. Is at, stake, is at stake there. So because we belong to the good shepherd, we know we are his sheep, and he watches over us just like he watched over David. Now that leads us really to our second main point. Since the Lord is the good shepherd of his sheep, they can be confident of his help in life and in death. So I guess in light of the certainty of having the Lord as our shepherd, David speaks now, of how even in the most challenging times of our lives, the Lord will be there to shepherd us through those times. First, we're reminded this. The Lord is always present with each of his sheep, always present. This is true all through our life as Christians. Whether we feel that his presence or not, it is true that he is always present with each of his sheep. This theme is all through this psalm, verses 1 through 3. The Lord is my shepherd. He makes, he leads, he restores. So his presence, look in verses 4 to 6, you are with me. Your rod and staff are what come from me. You prepare a table. You anoint my head with oil. The Lord is constantly present with his people, always present. And matter of fact, it's the very presence of the shepherd that gives the sheep security. They can't defend themselves, but it's the very presence of the shepherd that gives security to the sheep. I'm sure we've all experienced the fact that oftentimes just being in the presence of another person can help you feel more confident, maybe less fearful. I know when I was young, uh, growing up, I felt that way when I was with my dad. 
uh, he used to take us to football games. I still remember walking in, me, he and my brothers, and I just was never even conscious about anything, any problem around because I was with my dad. He had a badge. He was a he was an officer and so forth. So felt confident because I was with him. There's been times, and some of you have had this same experience, when you've been training for a new job. I know this. I, I can remember this when I was training to drive the city bus in Fort Worth, Texas, and uh, took some training to know how to do that, but I felt better, especially the first part of that, when there was somebody sitting with me whenever I took those first routes to make sure I remembered everything I was supposed to do. It makes a difference when you have somebody with you who knows what they're doing, and they're going to help you to make sure you know what you're doing and that you do it the right way. Well, our shepherd is with us. He never leaves us. He never forsakes us. Every single believer is indwelt by the Spirit of God. We are temples of the Holy Spirit. We cannot get away from Him. No matter what we are doing or where we go, the shepherd is always present with his sheep. Always present. Well, that leads David to make sure we understand several things. First, that the Lord is always present in the most difficult of valleys including death. Therefore, there's no need for fear. Verse 4, Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I fear no evil, for you are with me. So David speaks of how important the Lord's presence is for him when he's going through a dark valley. Now, this doesn't have to be a valley that leads only to death, but it's the idea that death is a very much a possibility here. But before he gets to the valley, I want you to notice something. Notice that he is actively walking, moving forward. As one of the shepherd's sheep, he is continuing in the paths of righteousness, even if there's a real possibility of serious opposition ahead. This is one who is resolved to follow the Lord. Going backwards is not an option. John Bunyan illustrated this well in Pilgrim's Progress. As Christian was moving forward uh, on the uh, narrow path, the narrow way, there were two others who came running at him, just scared to death, running away, going the other direction. They warned him that he was coming up on the valley of the shadow of death and that it was a horrible place and he needed to turn back. That's what they did. They turned back and he needed to do the same thing. Well, Christian was very dismayed by this, obviously, but he also knew to turn back meant going back to the city of destruction, and that was not an option. He was not going to do that, so he continued forward, even though he knew it was taking him through the valley of the shadow of death, and people before had told him how horrible it was. He keeps going. All the shepherd's true sheep will do the same thing. When, there, when you're in the shadow of something, here it talks about, this, about the shadow of death. When you're in the shadow of something, you're like under the influence or within reach of that thing. Well, we are within the reach of evil really all through our lives. We have sin that's, it's in, that's always at work within us, always at work. There are temptations of the world around us. There are the schemes of the devil that are directed toward us. 
And even though we often fall, Christ our shepherd never leaves us. He is always there to forgive, to strengthen, to guide, to encourage, all the way through the valley. Of course, the ultimate expression of evil is that reality of death. Death came into the world when sin came into the world. Death. Tell, uh, Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians 15 that there is victory over death in Christ. He says because of Christ, death is swallowed up in victory. And because of Christ, the sting of death has been removed. The sting of death, I think, here is the idea of the fear of what happens after you die. The fear of eternal judgment, to be more specific. Well, Jesus Christ endured the judgment that we all deserve on the cross. So for all of his sheep, the sting of death has been removed. Death is really the most difficult of the valleys that we have to walk through. And when we think about death, I mean, it's easy to have a great dread of what might happen. I mean, uh, tempted to fear death, and especially imagining what could take place. But David makes it clear that those who are the sheep of the shepherd have no reason to fear the evil that is associated with death. We are definitely tempted to fear, but our shepherd is going to be with us every step of the way. The Lord has given Psalm 23 here, I believe, as a help. If we would use this psalm, that's why I think it's, this is psalm has been used in hospitals so often. If we will use this psalm as a guide to pray about the valley that we're in or the valley of death, then he will grant us a clear confidence that he is with us every step of the way. He will use this to nourish our soul when we need nourishing in that time. Next we see from this psalm, that the Lord personally corrects, guides, and protects each of his sheep. Therefore, there is comfort. In verse 4, David tells us that it's the rod and staff of his shepherd that comforts him. Well, this is another clear example of how the Lord takes a personal interest in each of his sheep. He will see every one of us all the way through to the end. The shepherd would use a rod to get the sheep's attention, to correct them. If they're going the wrong way or to hurry them up or if they're just dawdling, making no progress, he would use the rod to get them right direction. Well, our good shepherd does the same thing for us. We read about this in, uh, in, in Hebrews chapter 12 where the writer is actually quoting from Proverbs chapter 3, but what he says is this, My son, do not re regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor faint when you are reproved by him. For those whom the Lord loves, he disciplines. He scourges every son whom he receives. So the fact that our Lord disciplines us, uses the rod, is an expression of his love. He convicts us of sin. He shows us that we're guilty of doing something we should not have done. And we thank the Lord that he does that. He takes the personal interest so that we will not continue to go the wrong way. That's a good thing. That's a loving thing. The staff was used especially to guide the sheep. He would lay it kind of gently against the side, guide them in a proper path, which David described earlier as the path of righteousness. So our God not only corrects us, but he also personally guides in the right way. 
He uses again the scriptures as his tool to train us up in righteousness. The shepherd would also use his rod and staff to protect the sheep. He would use it to keep predators away, also to keep them from going into dangerous places. You know, you've seen the staff that has the hook on the end. My understanding is they would use that to kind of even grab the sheep by the neck and pull it back from a place they were getting ready to go off, go off the, uh, the deep end, so to speak, go off an edge that would, that would hurt them. So, the, so he used his rod and staff to protect the sheep, keep them from going to dangerous places or keep the predators away. Every one of us would be amazed at how often the Lord has done this in our lives. There are so many trials and temptations that we have never faced. We have never faced them because the Lord will not allow us to be tempted beyond what we are able. We have no idea the things that we've missed because our God is gracious and using his rod and staff to guide us, keeping us from things that he knows is too hard for us. The Lord does that for every believer because he's the good shepherd and we are his sheep. He's committed to us. That's why David says the rod and staff is used to bring comfort to his sheep. Your shepherd personally corrects, guides, and protects you. We should take comfort in that. Next, David points out that the Lord provides a spiritual feast even in the midst of dangerous enemies. Therefore, there is blessing that overflows. Blessing that overflows. Verse 5. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You have anointed my head with oil. My cup overflows. This Thursday, of course, is Thanksgiving. One of the things that we traditionally do at Thanksgiving is feast. Personally, it's actually my favorite meal of the year. I love the turkey and the dressing and the cranberry stuff. I mean, I just love how it all fits together. Gravy. I know it's not that good for you, but it really does taste good. <laughs> well, David has promised a feast to those who have the Lord as their shepherd. But this feast, I don't think, is particularly connected with food. We're told, for example, in 2 Peter chapter 1, that God has provided for us all things pertaining to life and godliness. Anything you can possibly think of you need for life. Specifically to live a godly, God-honoring life has been provided for you. Actually, it's like a feast. It's ample provision so that we are not in want when we are truly in need. We are not in want. Now, that's encouraging, but the context is even more encouraging. This table of blessing is provided in the presence of our enemies. That's not usually the time you have a feast. Is when the enemies are at the door trying to get in, or they're right, or they've come into the door. Hey, let's have a feast. It's an interesting connection that he has here. Well, first couple things here. This is an acknowledgement that every Christian has enemies. Some are physical enemies. That includes people, can include disease, infirmity, things that are physical in some sense. Some of our enemies are more spiritual in nature. That would include sin, 
temptations, things like that that we deal with. Well, from this verse, the enemy is present or right at the door, but the host calmly prepares the feast. They can physically harm us. They can mistreat us. They can slander us. They can pass laws against us. But they can never deprive us of God's blessing. They can never take away that feast. They can't do that. No matter what the enemy is, God always provides a way of escape that we may be able to endure it. We need to remember that evil men are just men. They can never deprive us of the blessing that the shepherd provides for his sheep. A big part of that blessing is illustrated by the Lord anointing our head with oil. Anointing and oil are both associated with the Holy Spirit. So I think this is a reminder to us that every believer is a temple, is a sanctuary of the Spirit of God. And there again, there are no exceptions to that. The Spirit is constantly pointing us to Christ. That's his, that's his ministry, to point us to Christ. The Spirit is constantly working to bring about the fruit of the Spirit into our lives. It's the fruit that we need when we are being attacked by physical or spiritual enemies. The fruit, you know the fruit, it's love, it's joy, it's peace. This is all part of what's on the banqueting table, the love joy, and peace that we need in the presence of our enemies. It includes patience, which which can also be uh, translated as long-suffering, dealing with enduring in a long-suffering kind of way. It's kindness. It's goodness. It also includes faithfulness, gentleness, uh, or meekness, which is like strength that's under control, and and self-control. This is all part of what's on the table part of what the blessing is. And the Spirit is, pro- is providing that feast for us in the presence of our enemies. And it's interesting also to note, it, the feast is not just sufficient, it's more than we need. He says our cup overflows. It overflows to the point that other people are witness to Other people are encouraged and affected by the feast of blessings that the shepherd gives to us. It spills out on other people because there's more than we need. So as you're feasting this Thursday, let that be a reminder of the feast of blessing that your shepherd provides for you in your time of greatest need, even when the enemies are right at the door. David then closes this psalm with one more encouraging truth. The Lord makes it absolutely clear that as he has in the past, he will continue in the future to be good and merciful to his sheep. Therefore, there is courage and hope. Surely goodness and loving kindness or mercy will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. I mean, constantly being blessed with goodness and mercy can seem too good to be true. And I think that's probably why David begins this verse with surely. Like if you doubt this, surely, this is a certain thing. Surely, 
goodness and mercy is going to follow you all the days of your life. Well, how does he know that? A couple of reasons, I think. One is he knows that goodness and mercy are the attributes of our God, of our shepherd. So goodness and mercy and loving kindness are going to follow because that's who our shepherd is. That's what our shepherd does. David also knows it because that has been his experience all the way through already. Why would God stop with the green pastures? Why would he stop with the quiet waters? Why would he stop his work of restoring the soul? Why would he stop guiding in righteousness? Why would he stop being with him, being with us, even in dark valleys? Why would he stop providing overflowing blessing, even in the presence of enemies? God is good. He has been good, and he will continue to be good all the way through. If you're one of his sheep, then his goodness follows after you every single day of your life. That was true yesterday. It's going to be true today as well. God is full of mercy and loving kindness. That's who he is. So if you are one of his sheep, his mercy is going to follow you every day of your life. In fact, his mercy and goodness will follow you and I through eternity. Every single believer will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. We know all that's true. God is a good shepherd. His sheep are recipients, therefore, of his goodness. And knowing this is true gives us the courage to persevere in life no matter how we feel, no matter how we have failed, no matter what the enemies may be down the road. We press on in courage. We press on in hope, knowing he is and forever will be with us in good and merciful ways. Well, with this being Thanksgiving week, of course, I can't pass up an opportunity to give the pilgrims as an example. And especially since we talked last week about one of the ways of giving praise to God is remembering his mighty works, which I believe includes things he's done in history. So by doing this, we're actually praising the Lord for that example. Well, they were examples of people who lived through all kinds of difficulty, with faith, with hope, with courage. The majority were committed Christians, as you probably know, there were strangers that were called who were with them, but the majority were those who were Christians and come for, uh, for, for Christian purposes. They were sheep, so to speak, and the Lord watched over them as their good shepherd. Well, they're the ones that we think of when we observe our Thanksgiving. One of their leaders uh, was named Edward Winslow, and he spoke of their particular day of Thanksgiving in, in, in late 1621. Here's some of his words. He says, Although it be not always so plentiful as it was at this time with us, yet by the goodness of God we are so far from want that we often wish you partakers of our plenty. So it's interesting that they describe themselves as partakers of plenty. The reality was there, there were major problems. Their first harvest, well, there's a couple different things related to their first harvest. All the crops they planted from English seed, everything they planted, six, seven acres, all came to nothing. Wheat, barley, peas, everything they planted and took care of in those seven acres amounted 
They got nothing out of it. Nothing. But in God's provision, he brought Squanto, the Indian, who taught them how to plant corn in their way, and that produced 20 acres of good crop of corn. So, yes, they had plenty, but they also had things that were like they had put a lot of work in, and it turned out to be nothing. It was both. Crop wasn't the only thing to consider, as, I, as I'm sure you know. During their first three months in the New World, um, they were struck hard with disease. Just over 100 that were a part, I think 102, 103, if I remember right. Well, during those first three months, half of them died. Uh, at the height of the plague that was going through them, um, there would be only six or seven that had, had health enough to be able to help everyone else. Basically, every family was going to lose people in their family. All of them lost really good friends. I mean, when you lose half of your company, I mean, you're just... And a lot of, a lot of us have dealt with grief. A lot of times it didn't just come and go and then it's gone. It can stay with you for a while, especially when you've lost that many people. But in spite of this trial and adversity, the colony survived, and they come around, and they have a time of thanksgiving. Well, they believed that God in his good providence was caring for them. In other words, they believed that his goodness and mercy was following them all the days of their life, even when half of them died, even when three of their major crops completely failed. Goodness and mercy was following them. An article I read by uh, David Roach uh, quoted these words I have on your outline. They're words of Charles Hodge, and he's using this to describe how they could be such thankful people with such a mixture of blessing and trials that they had to endure. Here's, Here's what Charles Hodge said. God must control the sequence He must control the sequence of all events so as to render certain the accomplishment of all his purposes. Well, that sequence includes everything that takes place, even the things that seem bad and troubling. They're part of the sequence. As Christians, we trust that our good shepherd had his good purposes and all that he does. Therefore, we can have courage we can have hope. We can be truly thankful. With the Lord as our shepherd, we shall not want. Lord, we thank you again for your word. I thank you again for men like David and how you worked through him to write these things as he was pondering how you had, worked, how you had used him as a shepherd, as he understood all the uh, requirements and responsibilities and blessings to the sheep that came through the shepherd. So, Lord, thank you for using him and his ability and that what you've given him, gave him to meditate on. I thank you for the, so, these words that are just so encouraging and so helpful to us. Just these promises that we, won't, that we will not be in want, that, we're, that, we, that you will always be there to restore our soul, to give us those green pastures and to give us those, those still waters and to make sure that there's a feast of blessings even in the midst of enemies. 
to be there to walk through even the darkest valleys, even those that lead to death, to know that goodness and mercy follows us every single day of our life. Thank you so much for those encouraging words. Lord, I ask that you would encourage us as we think about those things, as we think about those truths. You have blessed us in so many ways. It's appropriate that we have Thanksgiving uh, to just as, as a way to consciously give you thanks, to corporately give you thanks for what you've done for us. Thank you so much for your work in our lives. And as we have said, we know these things are true because we are your sheep. These promises don't apply to just anyone. They apply to people who belong to you, who are your sheep. If you're one who's never put your faith in Christ, I would invite you to become one of his sheep. A prayer like this will be a way to start. Lord, I realize that I am sinful, that I have not measured up, but I thank you that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, that he laid down his life for the sheep. And I want to receive him as my Savior. I want to follow him as the Lord of my life. If you want to talk in more detail about that commitment to Christ, you can make a note in your tear-off or those who are watching online can reach out to us through the website. It is in the name of Christ that we...